Oh. Want to know my opening line? I don't want to say it now. I don't want to, after all that we just went through, I don't want to say it. Here's, here's my opening line. Um, the world as we know it is coming to an end. What a way to start a sermon. And if this, <laughs> if this is your first Sunday, I'm really sorry about that. Um, we're launching into a new series I'm going to talk about in just a little bit here. Um, that's just, I don't know how else to start a sermon like this today other than to say that the truth is that our world is, is racing to the end, not just coming to an end. It's, it's soon coming to the end is how I would like to say it. And as a result of that, they're gonna need us, the church of Jesus Christ, the redeemed of the Lord, those who possess the Holy Spirit of God and can live outside of the, the realm of um, the natural man because we possess the Holy Spirit of God and we can act in a world that is crumbling all around us. We can act out in a way that is righteous because of that Holy Spirit that lives within us. And because of that, the world is gonna need us like never before as we race to the end. <clears throat> Are you staying awake? I mean, do you have eyes to see and ears to hear what's going on around the world right now? I, I don't know if you're keeping up or not, but I'll try to keep up for you if you're not, or if you're just not into that type of thing. Did you know that um, over 7,700 earthquakes and aftershocks have occurred since the February 7th massive earthquakes that happened over in Turkey and Syria. Did you know that? Over 7,700 earthquakes and aftershocks. My friends, the earth is shaking beneath us. They're actually predicting a, another massive um, earthquake to hit Turkey again. What's the big deal with that? I'll tell you in a second. Did you know and do, are you aware that there is conflict in almost every country in the world right now? And death and persecution are abounding everywhere. And I know we're kind of whining about the way things are going and the direction that our nation is going today. And we should be concerned about that and we should do everything we can to keep that from happening by living righteously within the world that we're living in, but, there's, but the decline that we are seeing is nothing compared to what other places are facing and the, the turmoil and the conflict and the war and the death and the persecution of the church that is happening globally. Things are getting worse and worse. They're not getting better and better, which brings me to remind you of the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, verse six, where he said this, you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. These things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all this is only the first of the birth pains and more will come. I don't understand birth pains. 
except from watching them. Okay? You ladies understand what birth pains are. But it's interesting that he uses those words. And what it means is this, that what we are seeing happening right now, which he says when we get near the end, you're going to see these things happening that we're seeing right now before our eyes, but these are just the beginning of the birth pains, which means that these things that we're seeing are going to increase in intensity, amen, ladies, and frequency. And then the end will come. Are you awake? Are your eyes open to see all that's happening around us? It's appropriate for me to ask myself and to ask of you, the church of God. Every pastor in America, every pastor globally ought to be asking the people of God in the day in which we live today, the way that things are going today, is your heart and your life and your mind and your soul and all of your strength fully committed to the Lordship of Christ? Are we, can we be, can we be done with all the pithy, frivolous, stupid little things that bother us? Can we be done with the messing around in the things of the world that were things that we used to be like tied to and chained to that we have been released from? Can we be done with all of that? Can we be done with meddling in the things of the world and the lusts of the flesh and the lusts of the eyes and the pride? Can we just be done with that now? And can we just be fully surrendered and fully committed to the work of God and to the lordship of Christ over our lives? In a day that we're living in today, the call is there for everyone, every child of God, true child of God, to be fully surrendered and fully committed because we're gonna walk into some trials, we're gonna walk into some suffering, we're gonna walk into some temptation, we're gonna walk into some persecution in the days to come, and I believe shortly in the days to come. That's going to require your full attention to the power and name of the Lord Jesus Christ and his lordship in your life. And we need to get serious about it as we step into all that, and I want you to, I'm gonna keep bringing this up all morning long, all that he, God, has planned for us. Now, this, this, the series is on trials, okay, that we're starting today. And so let me ask you this question. We're gonna vote, so get ready, okay? You, you get to vote, this is America. You get to vote on things, okay? How many of you vote no more trials for my life? I mean, you're, you're like, God, I wanna vote no more trials. What is, you guys, you guys are lying in church. <laughs> like six people raised their hands. You know I'm setting you up, and so you didn't vote. You didn't vote. <laughs> but I know what's in your heart. And I know that the average person, the, maybe you're all above average, the average person would be like, if I could vote for no more trials, that's what I would vote for. Let me ask you something. When you vote, when, no, let me forget, forget that. I don't want to go there. Don't we, want, don't we want things to go well all the time? 
Come on, let's go there. Don't, don't we vote about things that govern our nation so that we can live at peace? And so that we can be happy? Yes? Yes? Okay, so we would all vote. I know I would. God, no more trials. Just peace and strength and happiness and bliss and joy. Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden. If you voted that way, if you did vote that way, um, you would be voting against God's plan for your life. Isn't that something? If we were to vote God no more trials, then we would actually be voting against God's will for his children. And right now you're taking a deep breath and saying, oh, brother, is this kind of message what it's gonna be? This is what the message is gonna be. Because we have to realize are standing before God in the good and in the bad. Let's memorize this statement, okay? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask our tech people to leave it up there for a little while. Here's a statement. Trials and sorrows are an inescapable part of the Christian experience. It's actually God's plan that you and I suffer, <laughs> And you're like, what kind of God do we serve? I thought he was an awesome God. He is an awesome God. I thought he was a holy God. He is a holy God. I thought he was a loving God. Totally loving. 100% loving. I thought he was a just God. No one is more just than God. Well, then why would he bring sorrows and trouble and tribulation? We're gonna work on that for several, several weeks right here, Okay. This statement right here, trials and sorrows are an inescapable part of the Christian experience. What we're gonna spend a month of Sundays picking the scab off of that, that statement right there. And it's gonna be painful because what it's gonna do for some of us is going to stir up in us the pain that we have experienced. For others, it's going to stir up anxiety about the pain we're going to experience. Some of us are going to find hope. Actually, all of us are gonna find hope in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of our suffering as we walk our way through this new series called Coming Forth as Gold. And today's message is entitled Submitting to the Process. I want you to understand that there is a process that God puts his people through and we're gonna be working on that um, today, we're gonna be making sense, trying to make sense of our trials. You up for that? Are you up for that, church? Are you ready for that? Everybody in the back corner, are you ready? Come on. How about this back corner? I mean, some of you are in the darkness and children of God need to be in the light. So we need to figure out how to get some light back there in that back corner. I hope you're ready. Balcony, you ready to go? All right, all right. Maybe those of you who are at home or wherever you are joining us, we're glad that you're with us and um, let's get started, okay? I can't think of a better launching pad than to look at the life of the number one student who graduated summa cum laude in the Graduate School of Suffering. You know who I'm talking about? Job. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Job and you're like, are we seriously going there? We are seriously going there because what we're going to do is we're going to study um, in my opinion, the man, no man has ever suffered um, outside of the Lord Jesus Christ himself has ever suffered on earth like Job suffered. 
And it's going to feel awkward because I'm going through, and I'm working through the NIV today, okay, and I'm going to be reading through. And we're going to just walk right down through the story. It's a story, and so I'm going to, I'm not going to bust it up. I may stop a couple of times to emphasize something, but we're going to walk down through the story, and then I'm going to help bring application to it at the end, okay? Job chapter 1, verse 1. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the peoples of the East. I want to stop right here and just say, quite an impressive guy. This is a man who was righteous. This is a man who was blameless, and the Bible is telling us, God wanted us to know that there was a man on earth at this time that was blameless and upright, shunned evil, and because of that, he was mightily blessed by God. And don't we know, we've talked about this so many times, Proverbs tells us that blessings chase the righteous and curses chase the wicked, and we could see the blessing of God on this man because he was blameless and upright. Verse 6. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. I'm gonna stop there again. Now listen to me. Things are written in the scripture for us. They tell us about God and they tell us about life and they tell us about life in God and I want you to hear something. If you notice, Satan noticed that this special man of God had a hedge built around him. That God had a hedge built around him and so he can be blessed while he was on the earth. And I want you to notice, I want you to know, my brothers and sisters, that God has a hedge about you and your family. Satan recognized it. Satan knew he couldn't touch Job without God's permission. And so he, keep this in your mind if you're a child of God. In fact, Jesus himself, in his high priestly prayer, said this, Father, I don't ask you to take my sheep, my, the ones you've given me, out of the world. I ask you to protect them, put a hedge around them of protection from the evil one. This is what we're seeing in Job right here. There's a hedge about Job and his family and God was keeping him safe, and Satan had to come and ask permission. My friends, listen to me. God cares about your life, and he's got a hedge about your family. And Satan can't touch you unless God allows him to. Tuck that away. We'll use that later. Verse 12. The Lord said to Satan, very well then. Everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. 
They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, you hear that? Another messenger came up and said, the fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert, struck the four corners of the house, it collapsed on them, and they are all dead, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe, shaved his head, then he fell to the ground in worship and said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Wow. It's a bad day right there. And while he was still speaking, and while he was still speaking, Wave after wave after wave after wave of bad news, death and destruction. And the, the final wave just had to sweep in and just knock him straight down. All of your children are, are gone. But it gets worse. The angels again and Satan come before the Lord and Chapter two, verse three says, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And get this now, and he still maintains his integrity. So this is, he's, God is speaking all this about his servant after he's experienced all this trauma in his life. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has if his own, for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, very well then, he is in your hands but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. And then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. What a woman. What a woman. And Job replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Do you notice, have, can you see Job's perspective on God's plan for his life? Back in 
chapter one, he says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Do you see a perspective in all of that? That he understood that God had a plan? We just read in verse 10, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Wow, would God give us, please God, give us a perspective about your plan in our life circumstances. When we go through these trials and these storms, please give us a perspective like like Job had for what you were up to. It didn't mean that he didn't struggle and ask the question, why? In fact, the whole rest of the book is about him asking the question, why? Haven't I given you my all? Haven't I served you with everything I have? Haven't I lived an upright life? Yes, you have. Then why would you let this happen? What have I done? Have I sinned? Have I done something wrong? Have I taken a wrong turn? And what's the answer? No. No. These kinds of struggles are real, and this stuff really hurts badly, and these kinds of trials that he's going through are literally suffocating. Jump to chapter 23. Want to jump to 23 with me real quick. We're going to be the rest of our time here in 23. After all the questioning and everything, this is how he describes it. This is how he describes where he is in this process. This is what he says in verse 8. If I go to the east, he's not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. Have you ever been there? You ever been in the middle of your trial, in the middle of your dark circumstance, and you're like, hey, God, okay, I'm in the tunnel. I can't see a light at the end. You ever been there? Can't see a light at the end. Don't know where I'm going. Kind of bouncing around in here. Hello? Is anyone home? Do you know? Do you care? Can you hear him crying out? I go to the east, you're not there. I go to the west, I don't find you. When you're at work in the north, I can't see him. When you turn to the south, I can't catch a glimpse of him. What do you do when you get into that place? What do you do when you get to a spot where you're like, God, I'm here. Do you know I'm here? Can you help? Where are you? What do you do when you get to that point? Here's what you do. You speak truth into your situation. I can't find God in this. Verse 10, look at verse 10, 23:10. But he knows the way that I take. I can't find God anywhere in my circumstance. North, south, east, west, can't find God. But I know something about God. He knows the way that I take. He knows the path that I'm on. I can't find him, but he knows. He knows. He knows. What does God know? Come on, what's the answer? What does God know? Everything. God knows everything. Exactly. But in this kind of circumstance, you should find strength in knowing that in the book of Luke, we find out that God knows when the ravens are hungry. 
This is what the Bible says. Jesus says this about his father. He says, don't you know that when the ravens are hungry, they don't go look for food and store it up. God knows they're hungry and he feeds them. Okay, you're looking at me like, is it true or false? It's real. What a cool life to be a raven. You're just like, ah, ah. I hate that sound, by the way. You know, ah, ah. You hear him going like, shut up. You're just gawking and flying and I'm hungry. Oh, look, God provided me a meal. Why is Jesus telling us that? We'll get there. Matthew, we find out that sparrows can't fall to the ground without God's knowledge and God's permission. Who gives a rip about sparrows? God does. Not one of them will fall to the ground without his knowledge and his permission. Wow. Did you know that God knows how many hairs are on your head? Did you know that? Nod your head like this. God knows how. Why does God know how many hairs are on your head? Because this is what Jesus said, because he counts them. Now for some of you, his job's pretty easy. He knows. Job says, he knows the way that I take. He knows the path that you are on. God knows when your heart is broken and when my heart is broken. And David says that he stores up your tears in a bottle. When you have those nights, when you're by yourself in the dark and you're weeping and you're pouring out your heart to the Lord or you're just broken in your sorrow and you're weeping through the night, God knows that and he's collecting your tears in a bottle Counts each one of them, David says, and then records each one of them in some kind of tear book that he has. That's how much your God loves you and knows. He knows and is intimately acquainted, the Bible says, with our sorrow and our grief. He knows the path you're on. He knows the way that you take. He knows so like with Job, he knew all that was going on. And to, to our amazement, he gave permission to it. He granted permission. We're gonna deal with that through this series because that doesn't make a bit of sense to me. And I wrestle with that a lot. What else does God know? Does God know anything else? Well, we, we learned last week, Jeremiah 29, 11, that God knows the plans that he has for you. He knows. And those plans are to prosper you and not to harm you. So you could just hear Job saying, really? Because I can hear some of you saying, really? Because I know the stress that you're under. I know some of the problems that you're, that you're wrestling with. And I know that your heart wants to scream out, seriously? You, don't want to pro you just want to prosper me and not to harm me? It feels like you're harming me. I kind of think you let Satan 
take everything away from me. Yeah, he knows that too. But that doesn't change the plans that he has for you, declares the Lord. Look at verse 10 again. He knows the way that I take. And when he, who, who is he? Who? God, not Satan. When he has tested me, wait, God is testing me? God is involved in this? Hello, he, he knows the path that you're on. He has plans for you. Yeah, but I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with God being in the middle of the testing. I, I'm not okay with this horrible thing. I mean, think about Job. Think about all that he lost in one day. All this news comes to him. Basically, your entire life is gone in one day. And his perspective is, his knowledge was, God knows the way that I'm on and he's testing me. How many times have we been in the middle of our circumstance, we've been in the middle of our trial or our suffering, and you come to this knowledge, this is where I really struggle, my feel personally. I really struggle with this. God's okay, God's in, the, in, a, in this somehow? God is testing me? Why would you choose this for me? Why would you put me underneath this, this weight, this heavy load? Why would you entrust this issue to me? Give it to Matt, not to me. He needs it more than me. Why would I? Have you ever been there? Have you ever struggled like that? He knows the way that I take, and when he has tested me, um, I want you to jump to verse 13 and see what we can get some truth out of out of this that Job says about God. If you're struggling with God being in the middle of your testing or your trial or your fire or your storm, um, just remind yourself of this. Like write this into a postcard or a, or a poster and put it in your house because you'll need to remind yourself of this during those times when you're really wondering what God is up to. He stands alone and who can oppose him? He, God, does whatever he pleases. He carries out his degree against me and many such plans he still has in store for me. Okay, I'm okay till we get to that last phrase. I know that God is God and no one can oppose him and God does whatever he pleases, amen? Right, God does whatever he pleases. No one can tell God what to do. God does whatever he wants to do and he has plans to carry them out and he carries out his decree against me and many such plans he has in store for me still? How can Job say that? Like, there's nothing left, God. You took everything. There is a dread when you go through a, a deep trial. There is a dread that can come that you have to get over that, can, that is like, When's the next shoe gonna drop? When is the next tragedy? When's the next servant gonna show up? Because it was like wave after wave after wave and you get to this point where you're like, I can't, 
I can't take what has happened, and then you have the knowledge, and you know that, I mean, why would he say that? And many such plans he still has in store for me. Look at verse 15. That's why I am terrified before him. When I think of all this, I fear him. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me, and I I can totally relate to what Job is saying here, and yet I want to scream out to Job, Job, stop! He's not trying to hurt you. He's not trying to harm you. He's trying to help you. Do you remember Matthew and Luke? If God cares for the ravens, and he takes care of their needs, and he cares about sparrows, and he cares about lilies of the field, How much more does he care about you, his children? Matthew actually said, don't be afraid of the things in this world. You are more valuable to God than all of these. Your God loves you more than all of these other things that he cares about. You're more special to him. And so when you get into that time of darkness and when you get into that time where you're like screaming out, where is God? You need to tell yourself, he's here, he knows He's here, I can't understand it, I can't figure it out, but he's here. But you also, when you're terrified that the next shoe is gonna drop, you can say to yourself with certainty and with boldness and and with courage and some kind of weird hope that even if that next shoe does drop, that God still is on the throne, God still knows, it's still part of his plan, and if there's still room in my life for another shoe to drop without me completely falling apart, well then, I guess it can happen, I guess it can come. Anybody like it? Anybody want the next shoe to drop? No. Are you okay? Can I take you one step deeper? Because God knows something else. I got it on the screen for you. He knows that we aren't always ready for the plans he has for us. So he has plans for us to get us ready for the plans that he has for us. I'm gonna ask them to leave that up there a little longer, okay? Let that sink in. He knows that we aren't always ready for the plans he has for us, so he has some plans for us to get us ready for the plans he has for us. Okay, well, I vote for skipping that part and going straight to the blessings. Anybody want to vote with me on that? Of course we do, we all do, but... If we do, then we miss the plans that he has for us. Do you get that? I want you to let that sink in. Because this series is all about understanding that you and I can trust that God knows what is best for our life because he knows. And God is allowing what is happening to you to happen to you. And if you and I can get through to the other side of the trial, then we will actually fall into his blessings. Now, I'm kind of done with today's message. We're gonna 
talk a little bit more, but I just want to say this to you. The next four weeks as we work through this series on trials, we're gonna go deeper than just our present trials that we're going through and working on. We're all going through trials. We're still, some of us are still messed up from the trials that we've gone through. We still haven't fully come through that. So we're gonna apply all this to that. But what I wanna do is prepare all of us for what is to come. It's called training for the battle before the battle comes. Remember what Job said? As many such plans he still has in store for me. We work on training in peacetime. So we, we don't wait until the battle comes to prepare for the battle. That would be stupid. You would have like the worst military ever if you waited until a war came and they said, all right, everybody, get up off your bunks. Let's go. We got to train. You're done. You're toast. You're never going to make it through, okay? Because your enemy has fully, is fully trained as they come against you. And so it's important for us as the children of God, no matter where we are in our current trials, okay, right now, to develop strategies and to um, understand and have knowledge and train in the peacetime so that when the times get worse and worse, because that's what Jesus said would happen, that we're just in the middle of the birth pains right now, and so all of it's going to increase in intensity and frequency. And when those things start heating up and start coming more and more and faster and faster, we're going to have some stuff to endure before we get raptured to heaven. We're not gonna live through the tribulational stuff we're gonna get raptured out, but we know that it's gonna get worse and worse, more intense and harder to go before that rapture time comes and takes us home. And we're gonna to have to endure through that. And I want a church, I wanna be part of a church that is fully equipped, fully ready, fully trained, and ready to stand no matter what. And here's why, because the, the world is gonna need us. The world's gonna need us to be able to stand firm and strong during those times of trials and during those sufferings and during the persecution and during all the crazy things that just the, the physical world is going to experience as we come to the end. And they're gonna need to look to us and we're gonna need to be, we need to be able to stand in the middle of all those things and say, I am a pillar, I am a rock because I am standing on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and his word. Come to me and I will help you. You can find strength from the congregation of the church of Jesus Christ worldwide if we're ready. If we're not ready, what are we doing? We're just dog paddling through everything. We're just, <laughs> come help me. I can't help you. I, the water's right here. I'm just doing everything I can to keep my nose above the water level. I'm drowning myself. People are grabbing onto you, like, get off of me. Listen, that's real. But we don't have to be like that. I just got real weird and intense right there, didn't I? <laughs> Robin's back there going. And I haven't even had coffee this morning. So it's like, like listen, it's, it's very, very real. What I just described to you is very, very real. We, we cannot help other people around us that are literally gonna be drowning if we're drowning ourselves. And God doesn't expect us to. He's written all kinds of things in the word for us to be able to stand in those times. 
And I want to help you get there. Right now, while the testing, in the testing phase, and this is vital, look at verse 11 of Job 23. My feet have closely followed in his steps. This is after everything that has happened, okay? This is, everything has happened. He's gone through this whole why thing through the whole entire book, and this is what he says. But my feet have closely followed his steps, and I have kept to his way without turning aside. Kind of sounds like Solomon in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. Verse 12 of Job 23, he says, I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread, which sounds a whole lot like Jesus' words when he said in Matthew 7, 24, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Do you see it? Jesus doesn't say, if you hear these words of mine and put them into practice, I'll make sure you never have a storm. What he's saying is when the storms come and beat against your house, your house will not fall because you're on the rock. Well, guess whose house everybody in the world is gonna wanna run to? The ones that are still standing. Let me wrap it up with this. God's plans are eternally in motion. God's always been at work and he's always at work and he's at work in your life right now. Our life trials are temporal and momentary. They may seem like they're lasting forever, but they're not. And God and his word are eternally true and eternally trustworthy. You know, my friends, God's word is full of what Peter calls his very great and precious promises to help us become partakers of his divine nature. In other words, God promises help to us And he promises to help us understand who he is in all of his magnificence and supernatural glory as we experience our deliverance that he brings to us in the middle of our trials. Sometimes, most of the time, our experiences make it hard to focus on anything positive when we're in the middle of them and it feels like we've been forsaken and forgotten. But I just wanted you to hear that those feelings are lying to you. It is there in that trial, in that pit, in that storm, that we need to be reminded of the relevant truth that God's word and his trustworthy promises have never missed the mark. He has never failed to deliver for his children. And humans for thousands of years have been able to trust in promises like, I will never leave you or forsake you. Deuteronomy 31, six through eight. I will bring you, if you will bring your worries to me, I will give you peace in your storm that will go far beyond your ability to comprehend and that peace will protect your heart and your mind. Philippians four, six and seven. I will give you that much needed rest if you will just come to me and let me carry your heavy burden. Matthew 11, 28. Others may forget you, but I will not forget you. I have tattooed your name on the palms of my hands. 
What a verse. Anybody want a verse about eternal security? They don't have tattoo removal machines in heaven. God has tattooed your name on the palms of his hands. Other people may forget you, but he will never forget you. God's many promises are his voice crying out to his children in the midst of their storms. Believe me. Accept me. Trust me. Take hold of me and and hang on with all your might. For I am the one who knows and I am the one who protects and I am the one who delivers. These stories in the Bible like Job's, they're not fictitious fairy tales. I don't care what anybody tries to tell you. There are people out there trying to tell you that Job didn't really happen, it's just an allegory, it's just, they're lying or they're very confused. This really happened to a man named Job in a land called Uz. It's a real historical account that God, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, had men write it down. And said to them, hey, you need to write the details of this story down because 2,600 years from now, a guy named Phil Byers is going to need to see that I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's going to need to be assured that I am his faithful God and I will be with him just like I was with you. And he needs to know that he can trust me in his trials. Job 23.10, he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold, which is where we're gonna pick it up next week. Stand with me as we pray. Our Heavenly Father, it is amazing to me that we get to call you Father because I know who you are. You are Almighty God, the one and only true God, all powerful, almighty, glorious holy, magnificent God. So much higher than we are that we can't even begin to comprehend the height. And yet, you bring yourself down to us and let us call you Father and you call us your children. And we mean so much to you that you've tattooed us on your, fore, your, on your palm of your hand and you will never forsake us. And we get to hang on to that. And sometimes it is terrifying to think about the plans you have for us. It's, it's very intimidating. 
And some of us are going through, have gone through, are going through and about to go through some really, really hard stuff. But would you just minister to all of our hearts by the ministry of the Holy Spirit right now that it'll be okay and that we'll make it through because you know the way that we're on. You know the path that we are taking and you have a plan in it all. And in the next few weeks as we work on this, help us to be confident and strengthened. Though we're heartbroken, though we're struggling, that we would be strengthened in the fact to know that you're producing something in us in the testing. So would you just... Grant peace to all my brothers and sisters here, the peace that passes all understanding and guard their hearts and minds in our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ to handle all that the world has brought to us, to handle all of the circumstances that we're going through and some of the storms that we're trying to battle through and bind our hearts together here as a, as a family unit to be aware of each other's needs and to help each other and to love each other through all of these things and help hold each other up as we march out into our world that is really crumbling around us. But give us amazing opportunities to share our faith and to share the gospel and the light of Christ in this darkening world. Use us. Let people come to us, Lord, because they see the strength we have in Jesus Christ, use us powerfully. Hold us up. Meet the needs of my brothers and sisters here in special ways this week. And bless them until we meet back together here again here. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus, and in a powerful name that we pray. Amen. God bless you, my friends. You're dismissed.